0: For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Open in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 23. We're going to really center on Luke 24, verse 12, but I want to read the whole narrative to us today before we um, get into the message. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 44. It was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and all the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in linen, a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But the words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran into the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Easter and Christmas are are two pillars of one story. And there are lots of other pillars and there are lots of other foundation stones that fulfill this story for us. But Easter and Christmas are really those two pillars that the Christian church really celebrates and remembers as the foundation of who we are as Christians. These stories are the story, the story of all stories, the story of the cosmos, the story of history, the story of God himself. And It seems that Christmas gets all the wonder, Right? And we must admit Christmas is a little warmer. It's cold outside, it's warm inside, and we have visions of fireplaces and stockings and Christmas trees and a warm little baby snuggled in a manger. Uh, except for that bit about Herod and the infanticide. Christmas is all very warm and nice and cozy. And there's a lot of wonder built into the holiday. But Easter, I wonder why not so much. But if we understand the whole story on Easter, we must stand back. In absolute awe and wonder at the whole thing. An absolute awe and wonder of Jesus. As we hear these words week in and week out, season in and season out, we must remember the beauty and the glory of what happened and where it will take us into the beauty and the glory of eternity. Maybe we today, maybe you today as Peter, need to run to the tomb, to stoop. To look in, to see, and to wonder. It says that as Peter came to the tomb and he looked in, he saw just the linen cloths, and he went home marveling. The word is wondering. Not really in a state of confusion... As to not really know what's going on, though that might have been true. But he was wondering, there was something stirred in his spirit about what all this could mean. Maybe that wonder and that marveling needs to capture or recapture you again this morning. Believer, this morning I wonder if it will recapture us for the first time in a long time. Maybe this story will come afresh to you today by the power of the Holy Spirit. And wake you from your slumber and your spiritual lethargy and your laziness. Reorient some priorities for us believers here today that claim to know Jesus. For unbelievers in the room today, skeptical, doubting, outright rejecting of the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus. Maybe today this good news will capture your heart. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll be drawn to salvation in Jesus Christ for the first time. It must begin here in wonder. Let's begin by wondering at his death. Number one, wonder at his death. I shared this quote Wednesday, but it always sticks with me when we begin the Easter story. As Charles Dickens begins his classic Christmas novel, A Christmas Carol, he begins it with these words. Marley was dead to begin with. This much must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate That's a great introduction for a book, isn't it? Marley was dead to begin with. If you know the rest of the story, you know why we must start there. Because nothing wonderful can come from the rest of the story unless we begin there. Today we must begin there. As we've walked through Maundy Thursday and Good Friday together, we must start there each and every time. Jesus was dead. The gospel writers want us us to understand that this is a real, physical death. And you say, of course it is. But if you listen to some quote-unquote theological voices out there, they would say, no, he was not really dead. This is just a symbol. He was an example of pouring love out for your friends, but he didn't really die. There was no physical torture here. In fact, there might have not been a Jesus at all, some say. Some say Jesus was not truly dead. He was swooning. What's called the swoon theory or fainting merely appearing dead through loss of blood and unconsciousness. And they took him down and they buried him. And three days later, miraculously, all the wounds healed up and he was able to walk out of the tomb as if he were alive. No, this is a real body taken down from the tree, dead. Gnosticism and early church false teaching that they had to deal with in the early centuries of Christianity taught that Jesus could not have died because he never really became a human. And so Gnosticism said, it's only the spiritual that is good, the physical is bad, so God would never become really man, and therefore God could never really die as a man. You read the rest of the New Testament, you see the gospel writers and the epistle writers really going at Gnosticism. No, Jesus really, really became a man, he really lived, and he really died. Or maybe you're familiar with the false religion of Islam, that said Jesus was a mighty prophet, Jesus was a mighty teacher, he might have even been born of a virgin. But he did not die on the cross, and Allah rescued him before he could die on the cross. Now, if I could quote from the Wizard of Oz this morning, he was not only merely dead, he was really most sincerely dead. Jesus was dead to begin with. There's several important theological truths here we need to consider. There's lots of theories out there about Why Jesus died. What happened in that transaction of his death. We just sang a song. In Christ alone my hope is found. and In one of the verses it says. And on that cross as Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied. And there are some liberal branches. Of so called Christianity out there. That don't like the idea of God's wrath. Being poured out on Jesus. And they wrote the authors of that hymn. And they said. Instead of. The wrath of God was satisfied. Couldn't we just say the love of God was magnified and leave out the whole wrath thing? And rightly so, the authors of that hymn said no, because if you take out the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus for sin, you lose the gospel. And they were right. And so we sing joyfully, and on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Number one, because his death was a penalty. His death was a penalty, not just an example of what to do for your faith, not just an example of what it means to stand up for yourself or to be a martyr or to love other people. It was not merely those things. His death was a penalty. He died to take the penalty of God's wrath against sin. Number two, his death was substitutionary. He died this death of a penalty in the place of substituting himself for others. He took a penalty not for his sins, but for the sins of others. And thirdly, his death was propitiatory. It's a big theological word that just means it satisfied the wrath and anger of God for sin. There's nothing left to be paid. The wrath and the anger that God has towards sin and towards sinners was poured completely out on Jesus. He took it out fully on himself And he dealt with it on the cross. Jesus was dead. And his death was a penalty. It was substitutionary. And it was propitiatory. Luke paints for us a little picture in light here as we begin in chapter 23, verses 44 and 45. He paints for us this picture of darkness. That there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That is from about 12 noon till 3 p.m. While the sun's light failed. Darkness. I think it really happened. I think it was a physical phenomenon that happened in the natural world. Caused by God miraculously. But it was a sign of something bigger. It was a sign of the spiritual darkness of the religious leaders that nailed him there. It was a sign of the religious blindness and the spiritual blindness that caused the Romans to nail him there. It was a sign of the darkness that overcomes the Lord Jesus as he bears our sin there on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a sign of the absolute sense of abandonment that Jesus knew on the cross. And it was the blackness of our sin and our depravity reflected there in that darkness. One other note to wonder at here is chapter 23, verse 56. After Jesus dies, he gives up his spirit. They come to wrap his body and prepare him for burial in the Jewish custom. But there's a note in verse 56. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Good, faithful Jewish women and men who were coming to prepare the body. They prepared the ointment, they prepared the spices, but the sun was going down on Friday, which meant the Sabbath was at hand, and they went home to rest according to the law. On the Sabbath day, they rested. A principle set in place in Genesis chapter 1 when God had finished all his work, and on that quote, seventh day, God rested. Not because he was tired, not because he needed a a nap, but because it was done and it was good. God rested. Here is something even more remarkable. On this Sabbath, the creator God incarnate, Jesus Christ, his work being done, the new creation being inaugurated, takes rest. A Sabbath to end all Sabbaths and to bring us into one eternal Sabbath. The new creation has been inaugurated and now the creator himself rests in the tomb. Praise God on this Easter Sunday morning. That is not the end of the story. Next we must wonder at his resurrection. Chapter 24 verse 1 begins with this turn and Luke uses this turn on purpose. But, however, there's a turn, a change in the scene, a change in the story. There's a change in the light, too. Look at chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, just as the light begins to pierce that darkness, all the darkness that we have just seen in the last part of chapter 23, in the death of Jesus, the darkness, the death. The abyss that is there, the Spirit of God is there over the darkness, over the abyss, hovering, waiting. And now we come to chapter 24 and there's dawn, light. There was evening and there was morning, the first day. It's a reversal of everything we just read. As we transition from darkness to light, we go from a tomb with a body laid inside and a stone rolled in front of it to no stone and no body. Look at chapter 24, verse 2. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And we say, Amen. He is risen. He's risen indeed, but they don't quite understand this yet. In chapter 24, verse 4, it says they were perplexed. These women were at a loss. Literally, they they doubted, not knowing what to do. They don't understand the gravity of what's happening here around them. It hasn't landed on them yet. It hasn't occurred to them yet. Until they are reminded. Even as they're perplexed in verse 4, It says two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. These angels, these these men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day rise. They had to be reminded of Jesus' own words. Seeing these angelic beings as if two men in dazzling apparel stood before them. They're frightened. They fall to the ground. And there's a simple question from the two angels, isn't there? Why are you here? Why are you here in a cemetery where there's dead bones and dead bodies? And they might have been even perplexed still. What? Well, Jesus is dead, isn't he? Jesus died. We took him down from the, from the cross. We wrapped him. He's dead. This is the place to be for dead people. They're confused. He's got to be here somewhere. We laid him here ourselves. All of the events and all the memories come rushing through their mind, except one that Jesus told them this would happen. Jesus told them, I must suffer, I must die, but I will rise again. Doubt, unbelief, fear had moved in. They had forgotten the truth, listen, until the word was spoken to them. And in verse 8 it says, They remembered. Maybe that's you this morning. You know the story. You've heard the story. You've been there, done that, made a profession of faith at some point in the past. Maybe you've even been baptized and you've been at church. Maybe you're not so much in church. But somewhere, sin, doubt, unbelief, laziness, something else has moved in and you have forgotten the wonder of this story and of Jesus. And I pray this morning, just as they heard the word and were reminded, I pray today you will hear the word and you will be reminded. And if I could say a word to those of us in the room today who are visiting, who may be part of our church but haven't been in a while, or who may be going to other churches, if you don't have a church that preaches the word of God every week, week in, week out, teaches it week in, week out, opens it up, reads it, teaches it, lays it there, you can see it, the inerrant, infallible word of God, if that's not the sum and the core of whatever ministry or church you belong to, I want to invite you to our church. We don't do it perfectly perfectly, But we pray to God that as we open his word and we read it and we preach it, we pray that he will move by the power of his Holy Spirit. We trust that will happen. So I invite you to join us if you don't have a church where you're being fed the word of God. In that remembering, these women hear and they believe. And they do what any of us would do. They rush back to tell the disciples what they had seen and heard. In verses 9 and 10 it says returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. They run and they tell them what they've seen and what they've heard. But in verse 11 it says but this seemed an idle tale. The apostles were strong, confident, assertive men. Now you know this is That's a farce by now, and if you've been following through the story, they're hiding in an upper room. Here come these women saying all this stuff. It's just the women. It's just the women. It's just idle tales, just old wives' tales, just the gossip of the day. Don't listen to it. But I think there's something more here, because even as Peter might be ridiculing these women and dismissing what they're saying, notice that Peter, in verse 12, says, rose and ran to the tomb. I don't know if he would have been putting on his coat, putting his sandals on, even as the women were talking, maybe even as he was dismissing them and waving his hand to them, he's got his coat on, his sandals on, and he is running to the tomb. Why Peter? Why running? Do you remember what happened with Peter just a few days earlier? As Jesus was arrested and tried, crucified, where was Peter, denying that he knew him, not once, but twice, but three times, cursing to make his point known, I do not know that man, in his cowardice and in his selfishness, and yet he runs to the tomb. Peter sounds an awful lot like me in conflict, I do not like conflict to linger. My wife will tell you that I am a let's fix this right here, right now. Let's talk it out right here, right now. Peter did not want to wait. He didn't have time to wait. He didn't quite believe what they said, but just in case it was true, and just in case Jesus was there waiting for him, what would he say to Peter? And so he runs, breathless, his heart beating, the adrenaline pumping. He stoops, he looks in, and he sees nothing but the grave clothes laying there. And then Luke adds that little note. And what could you do in that moment except marvel? What could you do except wonder? Maybe the wonder of this needs to settle in for you again today. Maybe today you're so caught up In the world. So caught up with the events of your life. And your schedule. Your priorities. Maybe something else has settled in. Where this wonder should be. I would invite you this morning with Peter. To run and to stoop. And to look. To see the empty tomb. And to wonder. And to worship. Wonder. Number three today. At Jesus the resurrection is not the end of the story the wonder does not end there Jesus who died rose and he ascended to the right hand of the Father he sent the Holy Spirit he rules and reigns now over all things and the creeds of the early church like the one we read today say he will come again to judge the living and the dead And he will usher in his kingdom, the dawn of a new creation, and it will come in full when he returns. Believers, can you imagine what wonders there will be in the beauty of eternity, in the glory of the new creation? But unmatched by the wonders and the beauty of the scenery will be the wonder and the beauty and the glory in the face of Jesus, the Lamb on the throne. And John tells us that we will at that moment be like him because we will see him as he is. Can you imagine the wonder and the glory of that moment when at last you see your Savior? What will we say? What will you be able to do except to fall down on your faces in worship and love and adoration and wonder? The Savior who died for me, who rose for me, who saved me, here in front of me, and you can hear the echoes of Wesley's hymn, will be at that point, point lost in wonder, love, and praise. I want to tell you, believers, that same wonder, love, and praise should drive us now. It is not yet that day. We do not yet see the face of our Lord Jesus, but in light of that day, believers, live in the wonder of Jesus' death, resurrection, His love, His grace. Live in the wonder of Jesus. Believer, let that wonder overflow into a love for God. As you fight sin in your life, as you fight temptation, as you fight wickedness, let that love for God overflow into that. Let that wonder overflow into love for others, shining the light of God's glory in the darkness of this world with deeds of love and mercy and compassion, showing the fruit of the Spirit to a watching world. Let that wonder, believers, overflow into your worship, both in your life and here together, as we sing and pray and listen and grow, looking there, longing for that day and worshiping here As if it were that day. Unbelievers, I want to tell you this morning, this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, unbelievers, skeptics, doubters. Your unbelief is not a matter of academic barriers and intellectual holdups. You will find no defense, no argument, no debate, no book... No scholar, no sign, no miracle that will be able to convince you of the truth of this story. Because your unbelief is not an intellectual academic problem. Your unbelief is a matter of sin. And your darkness and your blindness that causes you to run from God and to run from Jesus. No intellectual proof or argument or philosophical debate will make you believe Only a sovereign work of God by the power of his Holy Spirit can change your heart, grant you the faith to believe. And I pray that as you hear the word this morning, this good news this morning, that is exactly what will happen. And you will repent of your sin. You will repent of your running from God. And you will trust in Jesus for salvation. Can we as a church just bask... In awe and love and worship at the person and work of Christ. Can we revel in who he is and what he has done? Hal and Matt, if you'll go ahead and come. We're going to sing right after we worship here for a moment. Can we just revel in who Jesus is as our our Savior, our Deliverer, our Master, our Lord, the Holy One of Israel, the fairest of 10,000, the Anointed One, Son of God. God the Son, perfect man, sacrifice, high priest, prophet, friend, teacher, brother, Lamb of God, Lion of Judah, suffering servant, victorious champion. Our beautiful, glorious, precious, righteous, holy, perfect, radiant, worthy Savior, worthy of your praise, worthy of your life, worthy of your death, Worthy of every emotion and every affection. Worthy of every tear. Worthy of every shout. Of every song. Worthy of it all. Wonder at him this morning. Stand in awe of him this morning. Worship him this morning. When you stand to your feet as we worship the Lord, we're going to sing. Instead of praying, I'm just going to give us a few moments here in the silence. And maybe silently and quietly where you are, or if you feel so moved out loud, I'm going to invite you as we stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed to worship the Lord. You say, Pastor, I've never... I don't know that I've ever uttered a word of praise to God. I've asked for things. I've prayed in here together, but I don't know if I've ever said actual praise to God. It's pretty easy. You can just start with, thank you. Thank you. God, you're worthy. You're wonderful. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus. So in these few moments, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you take a moment in praise and worship to our Redeemer, our God, and we're going to sing together. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806 We'll see you next time.